Hi, Filmatics. Thanks for joining us for part two with director Peter Skopiak. Peter is a BAFTA-nominated director for known for his feature films Small Time Obsession, The Last Witness, and his UK TV drama work includes Casualty, The Corner, and Shakespeare and Hathaway. Let's welcome Peter Skobiak right back. Hi, Peter. Hi, Marilyn. Nice to be back. Yeah, so we were just having fun just talking about directing, directing shots, because, you know, a lot of people listen to the show and they have said it helps them with their um, their school and their classes or some people that are like just self-taught filmmakers. They said they've just been enjoying all the directors and people talking about their favorite film shots. So it's just been a wonderful tool for many listeners worldwide. And we just hit number 11 in India. So thank you, India, our listeners in India for tuning in. And uh, we really appreciate all the great numbers on ranking. And if you take a, um, a few seconds, listeners, if you can hit the five stars, we'd greatly appreciate it. So Peter, so so you um, were watching these master filmmakers, you're living in London. And so I wanna ask you, like, how did you start your career path to actually go into being a director? So you were in London, did you go to school or did you, did you start working for someone? No, it's completely from a standing start. I mean, my family, uh, has nothing to do with the film industry and really I was just uh, I just liked watching films as I say the as I said before it kind of comes from my parents because I remember my mother asking me saying Where, where's this film thing come from why are you so into films I said well mom yeah what, what did you do um, after dinner every night oh well, I'd sit and watch a film we go well there you go <laughs> so I remember watching films with my parents obviously my parents would take me to the cinema so it was a uh, it was always there, and uh, when my when my mom told me later that even back in Poland, when she was a little girl, they used to sneak into the cinema with with um, with her grandmother to watch films. Then you see where it's come from, and I'm kind of I just feel like I took that forward. But at, at no point did I ever think I could actually make films. This was this was not even a pipe dream. This was just something that I thought was just impossible uh for me to do and the point and also the point was i had no idea how you make films you know my father used to have a super 8 camera and he used to cut and splice you know the whole movies uh, oh, of us wow. on holiday and this sort of thing so and he used to and we used to sit around on a sunday and project it so he used to get very excited by that so again now when i look at it i go well there it was there was my film education really right in front of me but um it's only now that i appreciate it so that was always there and in a way it was just interest i think the moment things change <laughs> when when you like films is when you start going to the cinema on your own you stop going you know you, it's not that you stop going with friends or, or family but you go with friends family as a, as a social experience but you also go because you want to see films particular films and you start taking it a bit more seriously and then you start reading about it you start watching classic movies and then you find out why you know why they're classic movies i mean a good example was something like citizen kane i mean citizen kane kept coming up as being you know the greatest movie of all time and I, it took me about five times to watch it because i thought this is so boring <laughs> but again now when i look back at it i get it you know but for someone sort of coming up and kind of liking Star Wars and James Bond and action films, you watch something like Citizen Kane, it's a completely different style of film. And so you kind of have to get used to that. It's a bit like you have to grow into it. Um, like most things, when you mature into, you know, food, wine, you know, 
alcohol, anything. You, you kind of learn about these things uh, slowly and then you, you grow to appreciate it. And that's kind of what happened with the filmmaking. And the way I got into it, though, was when I was looking for work. When I left university, I didn't do a, a film course at university. I did, a, I did do a graphic design course because I always was interested in art, um, but nothing to do with film. And then the, when I left university, I was looking for work. I kind of wanted to give it a try in that I'd like to do something in the film industry, even if it was publicity or just something so I could have a film poster on the wall, <laughs> just something so I could have some kind of film memorabilia or something, something so I could say, well, I'm working with films. But at this point, again, no idea that I could actually direct a film. Um, and then I got a job at MTV Europe. Uh, a friend of mine was working at MTV Europe when it started in Camden in London in 87. And I kind of joined his news department. And I just really enjoyed I saw him actually direct the news. <laughs> and I thought, I like that. I think I could do that. And I was very impressed by that. Um, and so that was my first kind of taste of directing. And then the big break came because he then, well, I had to I had to leave that job because it was a it was a kind of runner's job. It wasn't a it wasn't a staff position, but a friend of his had moved to Sky at the time, and the movie channels on Sky. And then I contacted his contact at Sky, and I ended up working there for four months. Ultimately, working for twenty pounds petrol money, but I eventually got a job there, and. In all my downtime, I started making little films with three other guys, who, and one of whom had literally been making films since he was a little boy on Super 8, then on video, and I was I would watch what he did and then try it out myself. And that's kind of where it started. And from that point, I was trying it out myself, thinking I'll give this a go, see how it goes, and making it up as I go along because you would read about films, watch films, and then give it a try. And I still feel I'm doing that now. <laughs> you know, I've been almost 20 years in the business directing, but I still feel that every job I come to, I feel like, okay, well, what, what can I try this time? So in a way, it keeps you humble, because I never really had any formal training. And you're, and you're learning on the job by doing it. That's beautiful. Yeah, I remember like... Um... Like, I remember when I was, I, I wanted to get into uh, the what, a director's program for AFI. They had a, a scholarship program, and but you, the, you had to have recommendations. And a vendor, a friend of mine said, okay, but I'll give you a recommendation, but you got to make a film first. So our short film. And I remember, you know, one of my friends who's now a big executive producer at NBC. Um, I met him at USC. I was in his film as an actor. And he says, just, just get all the props and locations because the more you get everything and ask you don't have to spend any money so i would ask people to film in their um their house their office use their cars and so people let me have their like um the james dean porsche car i had a choice between that and an antique convertible i was in a multi-million dollar home with the jacuzzis and pools and waterfalls i had all this expensive stuff and i remember the night before i was so scared and i panicked i just panicked like <laughs> Because I'm like, I don't know if I know what I'm doing. I didn't go to film school, but I wanted to get into 
the AFI's director's program because they give you all the tools and the camera and the funds. And so I wanted it so bad that like, you know, I was forced into going, doing it instead of just talking about it. And I had a storyboard. And the next day everyone shows up and there's like over 25 actors. And there's like my DP was this really amazing guy that just said, relax and breathe. They're here. They're supporting you. And then I, we just said action. And then the rest is history. Um, <laughs> I didn't get into the program. They only picked seven, seven people. And, and a lot of them had names or were established people. But it did help me to start writing, directing, and producing. And I did ultimately get top 50 director in Project Greenlight and top five for CBS contest. So, so I think the desire and the passion, like you said, like you learn by doing, you have no other choice because- AFI is like almost a hundred thousand dollars a year and your average artist just doesn't have the funds for that. We just, you just don't, you know, honestly. And so, yeah, and I think, and I think that's, uh, and I think especially for directors, it's like, especially now, you know, I started in the early nineties and so I was very much the UK, you know, the, the movement in the UK was very similar. To, you know, it, it took its, took its cue from, uh, Tarantino and Rodriguez, so Reservoir Dogs and El Mariachi, and that whole idea of early 90s, just do it, you know, find a camera, go shoot it, you know, no one's going to give you millions of pounds to make your film, it's up to you <laughs> to go and do it. And, you know, they taught themselves how to edit and all this sort of thing. So basically on, on this side of the pond, we did exactly that. So we had a, a similar kind of underground movement of, of young filmmakers just saying that, okay, let's just do it, because I remember having shot a couple of short films and kind of not understanding why I'm shooting short films because I never watched them. <laughs> and, I, and a short film in itself is a different structure. You know, I was going to see James Bond. So, uh, you know, I want to make those films, those films, you know, the, the long ones that are in the cinema. <laughs> yeah. um, and so in, in a kind of naive way, I said, well, look, either, either I can make four 20-minute short films or I can spend all that time and money and, and put them all together and that would make an hour and a half and that would be a feature film but then at least I'd have a feature film and it's something I could sell and that all kind of made sense so even organizing a short film takes as long as it does to organize a you know a feature yeah so we kind of I threw everything like you did you throw everything into that project so you find out local uh, local locations that you can use you know uh, again i used the story my background my heritage so it was a kind of a polish south london mean streets but i could use the polish club you know i could use my friends houses you know i could give it a usp which is i actually found out i don't think there's been another film before or since about young first generation or second generation poles in london so i'm kind of unique in that in that sense Good film or not, it's unique in its own way. Oh, um, beautiful. So, as you say, using all the all the things you can put your hands on and then put it all in the bucket and see what comes out the other end. And that's that was my first feature film. And as you say, I wanted to direct it, but no one was going to write it for me, so I wrote the script. You know, no one was going to produce it for me, so I ended <laughs> up producing it. And no one was going to edit it for me, so Avid happened at the time. I learned how to use Avid in my sort of day job. And I ended up editing it. So not because I wanted to be an editor, um, but because I didn't want to shoot all this film because it's happened before the director shoot all this stuff and then spend three years trying to get it edited by somebody. I said, I do not want to be in that position. If I shoot something, I want to be sort of self-sufficient. And, you know, the opportunity arose because of Avid. So, uh, you know, it's made me a better director. 
because I had to do all the other jobs. Yes. It's not sure. that I now want to do all the other jobs. <laughs> In a way, I'm so happy someone else can do it all and I can now just concentrate on directing. But having had to do that, it definitely makes me a better director, yeah. So so your first film, what was the name of the uh, your first film that you did? Yeah, so the first film was Small Time Obsession. That's that's uh, that I actually made before I was a professional director. That that's what got me work in television. So so Small Time Obsession, and is that the one you said is about the um the Polish the Polish? What's the story about? That's right. So it's, it's four friends uh, or six friends, two girls, four boys, and they're growing up in uh, in South London. And it's a coming of age story. There's a bit of a gangster story. There's a there's a romance in there. There's a kind of, obviously, there's a, uh, um, and there's also the cultural conflict. So, for instance, the parents, the, I've got Polish parents in that film. And, you know, the scenes between them, for instance, a good example is they say everything in Polish, but her, their son speaks back to them in English, which was very typical for me. When I think about it now, it's kind of rude if <laughs> you were talking to your parents in, in English. But it was just what, what we did. And then I found that a lot of other sort of immigrant communities um, said, oh, that's just like us. You know, so like you'd have an Asian family saying, yeah, we do that. <laughs> or, a, or a Caribbean family would say, yeah, our children do that. We can't get them to, you know, to speak, uh, speak their, their sort of native tongues. So they speak in English and this sort of thing. So you had that cultural conflict that I was talking about before, you know, am I English, am I Polish? So that was the kind of, if you like, the USP of that film in the underlining all this was was a cultural conflict where, you know, overtly it was just the kind of coming of age gangster story, you know. Amazing. And then, um, so then you learned after you make a film, then you have to get a, distrib get a distribution, get distribution for your film and you were able to secure that, right? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe it. The, you know, my first film actually did make it into the cinema because it, it was at the Edinburgh Film Festival. And obviously I wasn't linked to any funding body, so BFI or Channel 4 or BBC or anything like that. So it was completely self-financed. Uh, so I didn't really have those connections. So, But what the Edinburgh Film Festival did at the time was if you didn't get into the main festival, they would have something almost like a video booth and you would put your film in there and if distributors would just look at the booklet, if there was a film they sort of fancied, they'd take a video out and just watch it without having a screening, they'd just watch it. And that's what happened to me. Um, a London distributor saw it, rang me up and said, I watched the film, I really enjoyed it and I think it deserves a cinema release. And I went, great, <laughs> <laughs> um, fantastic. So one of the best phone calls I've ever had. So we did a very small sort of six cinema release in London, but the point was, you know, it was shown in my local cinema. You know, it was shown in uh, in uh, Catford, which is also South London, which is where I grew up, where some of the film was shot. You know, we got a small cinema in Leicester Square to show the film. So, I mean, from my point of view, I mean, you can imagine how I felt. I mean, uh, one, I never in my life imagined I could actually direct a film. Uh, and then on top of that, to actually have your film screening in a cinema, you know, off Leicester Square, I mean, just something else. So, uh, yeah, huge, huge a huge experience. What a beautiful feeling. I mean, that must have just been such a 
a beautiful, amazing moment in your life. And so, so from that film that got picked up from the Edinburgh Film Festival, then you were spotted as a director. So how did your path go from there? Well, the distributor was was very wise because he said, you know, in England, in America, there is a film industry. In the UK, there isn't really a film industry. You have lots of producers running around making one-off films, and that ha hasn't really changed. So at the time, this is early 90s, he kind of said, well, you can either try and make another film, but unless I'm a huge success, unless I've made lots of money, that's not really going to happen. So, you know, it wasn't a film that that was particularly successful. In my mind, it was very successful because it got into a cinema. But from a financial point of view, you know, it, it doesn't even, doesn't even uh, you know, join the league, if you like. You know, I'm still a very small film. So he said, either you can spend the next few years trying to make another film and just working in McDonald's or whatever, or you can go and work in television. At least there you'll be working with scripts, with actors, you know, with producers and so on. And I took that advice. I said, you know, I don't particularly want to work in television, but absolutely, why not? At that point, I was a bit snobby. You know, I'm a film man. I want to make film. And it was the best decision I made because that was then became my film school. Because I then went to TV and I was working on soap operas and I got to now work on really good, uh, you know, better programs as well. You know, dramas and lots of different ones. And... You know, again, working on soap operas really gets, you know, it almost gets bad press because I've, I've almost said it as well. I say, you know, I then worked on better programs. Well, actually, soap operas, you know, the amount of work you get through and the amount of talent, uh, cast and crew on those shows is incredible. And they don't really get the, the recognition they, they deserve because they're working with very sort of low budgets, uh, tight schedules, and um, there's a lot of talent there and that's that and i use that as a as my film school as i say i kind of whatever i could play with cranes i could play with with tracks you know and i was directing the main point was i wasn't producing editing what i was just just being paid to direct um and i was working with with actors with scripts and it was just a joy so and that's where it carried on that's where it carried on yeah and can so, so can you talk to me about like your tv shows that um like the one that you is it the first one that you produced on your own that you did you write them or how did you pick these projects oh uh, no that was purely i needed i needed work because you know I'm, I'm not independently wealthy so i needed i needed a job <laughs> so it became kind of my day job so it became the 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 work i did whilst then trying to get my second film off the ground so it wasn't it was a kind of means to an end i took that as being well i need to work better to be working as a director than, than working, as I say, in the bar or something. So, because then I, I'm at least practicing my craft. So, during that time, um, I was also then writing the next scripts and uh, eventually, eventually, finally, uh, I got to make a second feature film, but it took me 15 years. So, it's good that I had worked for 15 years <laughs> and, not, and, not, and not tried to do that for so long because the main point was the next film I wanted to make, I wanted it to be bigger and better than the last one. I didn't just want to keep making sort of small time obsessions. I want, I knew that the next film would have to be a budget and, um, and I wanted to be more ambitious. And in the end, you know, it was a long time that I waited, but it was worth the wait. Definitely. Yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about that second film that you wrote? Right, so again, it stems from my Polish heritage. So when, after Small Time Obsession, I sat down and, and started writing sort of the sort of films I wanted to make, 
One was um, an out-and-out out kind of James Bond thriller, if you like. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no caretaker just to budget or, or what. I just, that's the sort of film I'd like to make. So I just sort of indulge myself with that. Um, the other one was actually for a producer who came to me and said, you know, we want to do a series of horror films. And uh, the stipulation is it has to be roughly one location, have lots of monsters because they were actually a company that created monsters, you know, did makeup, special, special effects makeup. Um, but after that, the story can be anything you want. And they had a Roman specialist or a Roman his historic who was really into films. And I got together with him and I kind of wrote a horror film based in Roman times, in Roman Britain. Wow. So that was very different. That's different. <laughs> and that's still there. And then the last one was The Last Witness. And The Last Witness is based on um, something called the Katyn Massacre. Uh, my grandfather was executed in the Katyn Massacre. And the Katyn Massacre is quite politically sensitive because it happened in 1940 uh, when Poland was invaded by the Soviet Union and they executed 22,000 Polish officers. Um, and that is still hotly debated in Russia at this time. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's something it's something that, that I've lived with all my life and it, and it kind of defines the Polish community, post-war Polish community in London as well. Um, and obviously it made it more personal because it was my grandfather. So the film deals with the cover-up of, of that Katyn massacre because it was, after the war, it was blamed on the Germans uh, rather than the Soviets. So that's something that, was, that the Poles had to deal with post-war politically here. And it's why actually I was probably, well, not probably, it's actually why I was born in London. Because if um, that had dealt, dealt with differently, then my parents probably would have gone back to Poland, would probably never have met, and I wouldn't exist. Um, they stayed in England. They stayed in England because they couldn't go back to Poland. Because obviously my mother's not going to go back to a country that, that, is, uh, that is controlled by people who murdered her father. And she was also deported uh, from that side of Poland into Siberia as well. And that's, a, that's another story. Uh, so millions of Poles were deported from Poland into the Soviet Union after the Soviet Union invaded Poland after in 39. So it's a, it's a very, as I say, very different story to, uh, to the horror film in set in Roman Britain and, uh, and the James Bond film. But it's something that producers kept coming back to and saying, that's interesting, maybe you should make that. And that's what I did. And, and the last witness, can you share your actors? You had Alex Pettifer and Michael Gambon in that. And it's, it sounds like a, a really beautiful, extraordinary film with heartbreaking and emotional messages that's important for the world to, to spotlight what happened there. Yeah, and, and it was, you know, it was important to me because uh, Andrzej Wajda made a film called Katyn in Poland, which told the story from the Polish point of view. And the last witness tells that story from the uh, from a UK point of view, from a British point of view after the war, um, and it's something that, in a way, only only a director such as myself could tell because it needed to be a British Polish director to tell that story, because even Andrzej Wajda wouldn't understand what it was to to grow up with that in England. So again, the USP, if you like, for me was well, 
I kind of need to make this because very few people actually could make this film with that resonance. You know, they could make it technically, absolutely, of course, but there's something about what we were saying about what you bring to it as a director. Yeah, and so, so I want to ask you, so where do people see your movies or where can they find them? Um, are they? Can you let them know where how they can keep up with you and your work? Uh, well, in the States now, it's streaming. So it's on, it's on Amazon, on Prime Video. Um, it's on Vudu, it's on Microsoft, uh, Google Play, it's on YouTube, it's on Hubi and um, Hoopla, I believe. And uh, in the UK, it's on the like, again, it's on Amazon, uh, it's on iTunes, and it's on Google Play. Amazing. And so, so I want to just repeat the title. So that's The Last Witness. And can they still see Small Time Obsession, or is that um, are you is that out too as well? Small Time Obsession came out in two thousand, so as far as I know, you can still grab a few videos, uh, DVDs, sorry, um, on eBay possibly, but that's in that's that's quite uh, restricted. I'm actually hoping to put that onto Amazon later this year if I can on Amazon Video just to bring that out. Yeah, and so um, uh, in, in, uh, is your TV shows The Corner, are you still working on those TV shows currently, right? Uh, the Corner was, uh, was cancelled after three seasons, I think it was, or two seasons, so that, that doesn't exist anymore. Shakespeare and Hathaway, though, is still going. I'm hope, hopefully working on that later this year, and Casualty is what I'm working on now, and that's continuing drama, so Casualty has been going since uh, since. 1986, I think. Wow! So, and it's still and it's still prime time Saturday night. So it's it's sort of the British British equivalent of ER, really, and it's been going a long time. Oh wow! So I just want to repeat that. So you are the t you are the TV director of Casualty. So it's the privileged equivalent of our American TV show ER. That with uh, George Clooney was actually in that one, right? And then uh, so it's a, it's a British medical ER drama, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it's based in the ED in a in a British hospital. Yeah. Okay, great. And so that's been on a long time. Wow, congratulations! And then can you tell us a little bit about Shakespeare and Hathaway? What is that about? Yes, yeah, so that's a quirky little show that's set in Stratford on Avon, and it's a kind of comedy drama about two private investigators, and um, they basically solve crimes around Stratford and Avon. So, the, and there's always a kind of a Shakespeare theme to it. So it's just, it's a, it's a really fun show to work on and uh, everyone watches it. As I say, if you like kind of quirky British drama, that's perfect for you. Oh, I am a big fan of British TV. I watch a lot of British TV, believe it or not. I like Moors and I like, and, uh, what's all the Moors and all the spinoffs, uh, Midsummer's uh, Murders, all those TV detective shows. I am a big fan. I don't know what it is. I don't, maybe it's the small towns and the, and they, they show you all the different places in London. And I guess my dream is to be a writer um, that can write in one of the, have like a, have a summer house in London where I'm just writing one of those cute little cottages, you know, just like magical. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a total dream. But so um, I want to ask, so what's coming up next? Where, uh, what, what are you working on? You're, you're obviously working on these TV shows. Do you have another movie that you're working on? Can you just share with us a little bit? Yeah, so that that film I talked about, the kind of my ultimate film, which is a, a, almost like a James Bond film. Uh, it's almost like a female James Bond film, if you like. So that's the one I'd really like to do next. Um, it's uh, the working title is Winter in July, 
and it's about a brother and sister on opposite sides of the law, um, both seeking their own uh, kind of justice. It's um, it's set in London and in Krakow, mainly Krakow, Poland. So again, I'm using my Polish heritage in the script to try and make it a little bit different. So it's a kind of Euro thriller, really, and it, it's in the style of Nikita, The French Connection, this sort of business. And uh, it, it is, it's, it's absolutely the film um, I would just want to make just for fun, for the, for, the, for the kind of love of filmmaking. So hopefully that will happen. That, that, would be a, that would be a real dream come true. You know, The Last Witness was a very different film because it was very personal. Whereas Winter in July would just be a, a sort of a, an action thriller and just uh, fun. Not to say that, you know, there wouldn't be a bit of politics in there and, and maybe you'd learn something that you didn't know before. You'd go to locales and see locations maybe you weren't familiar with. So all those things that I loved in the films I was growing up, I would want to do with Winter in July. Oh, La Femme Nikita sounds amazing, your Winter in July. And, you know, people love action films. They love thrillers. And, you know, I, I think that people are going to be calling you up after this podcast. Like, I want to be the lead in that film. I want to be in that, you know, <laughs> because, you know, we love those action films, you know. And even on a little thing, I did make a James Bond spoof, James Blonde, Secret Agent Man. So I think you and I have a lot of <laughs> love of the arts, you know. And as a, as a girl, I go, oh, I've never been able to be a spy or something. So I think we live through these characters and have a good time, you know? And uh, my James Blonde needed to get to his hair appointment and get his uh, roots dyed, but he had to save the world against the evil sequel Nemesis producer. And uh, Catalisa, his sidekick, was his catalyst to get him to do his job. So it's kind of fun to write, but to actually, you actually got to direct a film and TV show. So congratulations. The world is so happy that, um, that you found your path into directing because um, you are so special and just 